Now, our Bible reading tonight is taken from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 2, and I want to read from the verse 24 right through to the verse 45. So if you can follow with me in this lengthy reading of the Scriptures. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Daniel chapter 2, verse 24. Therefore Daniel went in unto Arioch, whom the king had ordained to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus unto him, Destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show unto the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and said thus unto him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah that will make known unto the king the interpretation. The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen, and the interpretation thereof? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and soothsayers show unto the king. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets makes known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living. But for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thine heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. This image head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them in pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. And we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold, and after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, 
For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron that breaketh all things, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided. But there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay. And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so shall the kingdom partly be strong and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own divinely infallible and inerrant holy word. Now this evening I'm continuing our series of expository sermons on the book of Daniel. And my text tonight is taken from Daniel chapter 2, verses 28 and verses 29. And my theme tonight is understanding the key to every prophecy in the Bible. So here's the text, Daniel 2, verse 28 and 29. And here's the theme, understanding the key to every prophecy in the Bible. Now, Daniel 2 is, of course, one of the most famous chapters in the whole of the book of Daniel. Many who are familiar with the book of Daniel would know that Daniel 2 contains a most amazing and extraordinary prophecy about the future of the world. A prophecy that stretches from the days of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and right up to and including the second visible personal return of Jesus Christ to this earth in power and glory. So Daniel chapter 2 stands really as the mountain peak of all Bible prophecy. I believe, of course, that Daniel 2 holds the master key that opens the lock into every other prophecy in the whole of the Bible. There are, of course, some things the Lord in his wisdom doesn't want us to know just yet. Listen to Daniel chapter 2, verse 4. But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. You see, there's some secrets that God has locked up. They're locked up until the end of time. There's things that the mind of man cannot penetrate or search out. Listen again what God says in Daniel 2 and verse 9. Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed 
till the end of time. It's as if the Lord has turned the key in the lock and said to the children of men, there's some things that you can't know yet. There's things that we're not going to find out simply because the Lord doesn't want us to know them yet. However, there are things that he does want us to know. And to know them, you need a key or a spiritual understanding of these things. And I believe Daniel was given that key. I believe that Daniel was given that spiritual, special understanding. It's interesting that Dr. Martin Mahan, who wrote the books Daily Bread, called Daniel 2 the um, ABC of prophecy. And it is. It's the golden alphabet of prophecy. Dr. Harry Ironside, who succeeded D.L. Moody in Chicago, described it literally as the most complete, simple, prophetical chapter in the whole of the Word of God. And I want you to understand tonight, when you read Daniel 2, you're understanding the unfolding of God's plan and purpose for the world. It's all here. It's all in Daniel 2. What's Daniel 2 all about? It's all about God unveiling about world empires, the world's superpowers of the day, their development, their decline, and their destruction at the end of time. Now, I want you to think of that mighty absolute monarch called Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He's in his bed. Now remember, he's a most famous ancient king. Did you know he's mentioned 90 times in the Bible? He was young when he came to the throne. He reigned for 43 years. He built up the whole city of Babylon, a most famous city, 60 miles square, walls 18 feet wide. You could ride three chariots side by side around them. Famous, of course, for its hanging gardens. Had a population in those days of Daniel of 1.2 million. And we could talk tonight about the riches of Babylon. I'm not going to do it. I, I could talk tonight about the religion of Babylon. Did you know that Babylon was a land of graven images? Did you know that Babylon was mad on idols? The Bible says in Jeremiah 50 and verse 38, for it is the land of graven images and they are mad upon their idols. It's a place, of course, of magicians and soothsayers and astrologers and Wise men, so-called, full of worldly wisdom. It was not only a place of idolatry, but it was a place of superstition. A place where they trusted in their own wicked inventions. In their ideas. In what they constituted true knowledge and wisdom. And you can find that information out in the book of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 48. And it says there in the verse at 10, for thou trusted in thy wickedness. Thou hast said, none seeth me. Thy wisdom and thy knowledge, it hath perverted thee. And thou hast said in thine heart, I am and none else beside me. You see, they were full of pride. And into that very environment, God in his plan and purpose determined to speak a word to King Nebuchadnezzar Upon his bed one night. And he did so via a dream. Remember what we read in the book of Daniel. In Daniel uh, chapter 2. And in the uh, verse 1. And what do we read there? We read these words. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams whereupon his spirit was troubled and his sleep break upon him. Can you think of Nebuchadnezzar having a dream that greatly troubled him? He awoke. He, he was deeply disturbed. Either the Lord hid the dream from him or, or amazed him to forget it or, or he deliberately forgot it. Now the first thing he did, he called for his wise men, his astrologers, his enchanters, his soothsayers. These were the advisors of the royal court. Daniel 2 and 2 mentions them. Six categories of wise men, men of the world. But they couldn't tell him his dream. They, they couldn't give him the meaning of it. What did they say? It's impossible. Listen to what they said. There is not a man upon the earth, Daniel 2 and 10, that can show the king's matter. Therefore there is no king, lord, nor ruler that asks such things as any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. The king flew into a rage. He lost his temper. He issued a decree. You're all going to die. I'm going to make your houses into a dunghill. And of course that brings us to Daniel. Daniel, of course, went to the king and asked for more time. He returned to his home. He held a united prayer meeting in his house. And God answered him. And, of course, that's what a true child of God does when they're facing a crisis. That's what a man of God does when he's facing a crisis. And the personal crisis in Daniel's life drove Daniel to prayer. Daniel was indeed a man of prayer, as we saw last week. Daniel, of course, had his prayer heard and answered by God. And then Daniel spoke to Arioch and said to Arioch, destroy not the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king of Babylon not only the dream but the interpretation thereof. And that is exactly what happened. And the king asked Daniel, if you look at verse 26, art thou able to make known unto me the dream which I have seen and the interpretation thereof? And Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king have demanded cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magician, the soothsayers show unto the king. But there's a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. And maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and thy vision of thy head upon thy bed are these. I believe that verse 28 contains one of the great buts in the Bible. And if you look at our text tonight, I want to show you four things in understanding the key to every prophecy in the Bible. I want you to think of the source of the key to Bible prophecy. Notice the words there, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets. In this chapter, the God of heaven is mentioned three times, but there's a God in heaven, verse 28, and over there, in um, verse 37, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And again in verse 44, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. See, let's pause there. Think for a moment of this absolute monarch in bed. He's trying to sleep. And then thoughts come into his mind. Literally thoughts come up into his mind. Where did they come from? Did they conjure them up themselves? Did you read them out of a book? Did some of the wise men plant them? The answer is no. They came from God. They were divine in origin. This dream that he dreamt, God was conveying a message to Nebuchadnezzar via this dream. His thoughts had to do with what? A knowledge of the future. He was dreaming thoughts about the future. He was thinking about the future. Let me ask tonight, do you ever think of your own personal future? Do you think of the future of your family? Are you concerned for them? Do you think of the future and well-being of the church? 
Are you thinking of the future of we Northern Ireland as we face our centenary? Do, do you think of the future of this United Kingdom? The future of our world? Could I ask a more personal question? Have you ever thought of your eternal future and the well-being of the future of your soul? Maybe you've done so and you've thought about these things in bed. And as you've thought in these things, I believe God has been speaking to your heart. Here's Nebuchadnezzar drifting off to sleep and God gave him a dream. God put the dream in his mind and the dream was clear and plain to Nebuchadnezzar and he was troubled and sleep break from him. You see, this was no ordinary dream. This was a dream in the plan and purpose of God. This dream was divine in its origin. And there are many examples in the Bible of how God gave people dreams and visions, especially in Old Testament times. That was how God spoke in days that are past. God made his will and his mind known by dreams. It says over there in the book of Numbers, in um, Numbers chapter 12 and in the verse 6, we read these words. Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. And over there in the book of Job, in Job 33 and in the verse um, 15, God says, in a dream, in a vision of the night when deep sleep falleth upon men in slumberings upon the bed. And there's many illustrations of this. We could think about Abimelech in the book of Genesis. He was, remember, told not to touch Sarah. He desired to take Sarah to wife. Uh, Abraham had told him, she's my sister. Uh, she was in a true sense, uh, but she was also his wife, and he had withheld that piece of information. And God, in a dream, told Abimelech, don't touch another man's wife. God warned him not to do that. You think of the dreams that Pharaoh had that were interpreted by Joseph, the dreams about the cows and about the ears of grain. You think about the dream of the wise men from the east, men that came from the land of Mesopotamia, where Babylon was located. And they were warned in a dream not to tell Herod about the uh, birth of Christ or where he was. And they returned home another way. You think of Pilate's wife, have nothing to do with this just man. I've suffered many things in a dream this night because of him. You see, there's many recordings in the Bible of how God gave dreams to individuals and God was working out his master plan and working to his master purpose. Now, that is no longer the case. Even though he's still the God of heaven, even though he rules and reigns sovereignly and supremely over the children of men, he's not given any revelatory dreams or visions today. Why? Because we have got the complete canon of Scripture. Because we have got a complete Bible. 66 books, two testaments. And surely that's one of life's greatest blessings. Remember what we read there in the uh, book of Job, in uh, Job chapter 23. We read this tremendous statement of the scriptures. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. 
How do we esteem and evaluate the Holy Scriptures? Do we see them tonight as something that's more precious than our necessary food? Even more than gold or fine gold? More precious than the riches of this world? Remember what Peter was able to say in Second uh, Peter chapter 1 and in the verse 19, he made this tremendous statement, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I encourage you tonight to take up your Bible. I encourage you to spend time with your Bible. I encourage you to meditate and study the Holy Scriptures. Remember the godly man, Psalm 1, verse 2. Um, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. You see, the Lord can and does speak to us out of the book. And you can get a word from the Lord tonight for your soul. And you can pray as you read the scriptures, Lord, speak to me, speak to my heart. Do I believe tonight the Lord is present with us, even though we're absent from the house of God? The house of God's not a building. The house of God is the body of Christ. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. There's a wonderful story told about Dr. A.G. Gordon, who was involved in the Moody Bible Institute. And, of course, he was named after a famous missionary, Adorian Judson of Burma. And A.J. Gordon was in the study. He fell asleep, and he, he dreamed that he was in church, and he dreamed that he was in preaching, and the church was packed. And he saw a visitor coming in, and in his dream he saw the usher uh, uh, showing the visitor to uh, an empty seat, uh, and he was at the door then after the service and he was looking for the visitor and he couldn't see him and he had sad that he missed him and he said to the deacon where's the visitor that's came and the um, deacon said to him oh I have spoke to him and he is now gone but he'll be back next week and A.J. Gordon said to the deacon in his dream well did you find out his name do you know who he was and, and the, he could hear the deacon saying clearly yes the man said his name was Jesus Christ and that impressed upon his heart. Jesus Christ present in the house of God. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is here. Even with us tonight. Two of us, Mark and I. He's with you in your own homes. And even though he doesn't speak by dreams and visions, he has a way of revealing himself. And the Lord Jesus can come to us, show himself strong and, and speak to our hearts. In Daniel 2 and 30, we read, But as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes. That shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Think of these words, know the thoughts of thine heart. See, God was preparing Nebuchadnezzar's heart for the truth of the word of God, the, the truth of this prophecy. And, and the first thing God did was, was he showed him the truth. And then from that truth, he, he spoke to him through Daniel the prophet. Nebuchadnezzar, you need to come and see the thoughts of your own heart and mind. And maybe that's what you need to do tonight. You're listening to me. Maybe your greatest need is to be saved. Have you ever prayed, Lord, show me my true self? 
Lord, show me the only true Savior of sinners, the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you need to be genuinely restored from a backslidden state. You can also pray, Lord, show me my true self. Show me my heart. Show me my thoughts. Lord, give me a sight of Jesus Christ. I think of the hymn, help me to understand it. Help me to take it in. Help me to uh, understand what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to, to bear away my sin. Here's Nebuchadnezzar in his bed, and he's thinking of his own future. His mind, no doubt, is full of self, full of pride. And God comes to him. And God reveals the truth to him, the thoughts of his heart and mind. And God reveals stuff to him about the future. I want to ask tonight, is that a picture of you? Are you troubled and fearful of the future? Maybe you're worried sick, fearful for the world in which we live, fearful for yourself and your family. Well, the key is here. There's a key into heaven. The God of heaven is revealing himself. The key into your heart. The key into the hereafter. Nebuchadnezzar discovered the truth. Lay with the God of heaven. And it was disclosed to him via a man called Daniel. And Daniel was given the key. A man of prayer. A man of wisdom. A man of God. And God was at work in Nebuchadnezzar's soul. And God spoke to him. And God troubled his heart and mind. And that tonight is the source of the key to biblical prophecy. I want you to think secondly and quickly the subject of the key to biblical prophecy. If you look again at our text, it says, what shall be in the latter days? Isn't that interesting? A careful study of Daniel 2 will reveal the details of this great image. If you look at verse 31, Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image, this great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. And what did he see? The image's head was of fine gold. He saw an image of, with a breast of silver and arms of silver. He saw an image that had a torso and thighs of brass. He saw an image that had legs of iron. And he looked at the feet of that image and it was part of iron and part of clay. And what did it mean? Well, the details here were describing four great world empires, starting with the Babylonians. They represented the head of gold, and then the breast and arms of silver represented the Medes and Persians empire with Cyrus I. And then the belly and the thighs of brass represented the Grecian empire, Alexander the Great. The legs of iron uh, represent, and the feet of brass, or the feet of iron and clay, uh, represent the whole of the Roman Empire. Four great world powers represented in human form, represented like a man. You see, what was God saying? They're all earthly kingdoms. They're all man-centered. They're all built around men. They cater for men. They're all very human in their ethos. They're, they're filled with a humanistic anti-God agenda and does not represent entirely the kingdoms of this world. By and large, they're, they're godless. By and large, they're pagan. Is that not all true tonight? Then look with me at verse 34. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands who smote the image upon his feet. That's very important. Which were of iron and clay and break them in pieces. 
I believe that the stone cut out without hands is a reference to our Lord Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Well, he's called the stone in the Bible. Remember in Psalm 118 and in the verse 22, we read the stone which the builders refused has become the head of the corner. Do you see that tonight? And there's also various other references in the Holy Scriptures where the Lord Jesus is referred to as a stone. And when the Lord Jesus tonight returns to earth in power and glory, he's coming to implement and bring in his eternal kingdom where he will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And when he comes, his coming will be a real, complete, final way that will utterly smash the earthly kingdoms of men. Notice the image was smote upon his feet, not the head, not the breast, not the arms, not the belly, not the thigh, not the legs, but the feet of iron and clay. It's very important that you see that. The, the whole image was smashed together. The, the whole image was broken in pieces. It became like the chaff of a threshing floor in the summertime and the wind carried him away. Babylon the Great, where is it? The Medes and Persian Empire, it is gone. The Grecian Empire, it's no more. And what about the great Roman Empire? Notice also, we read there, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, if you look very carefully at verse 36, that's the dream. This is the dream. And now then he goes on to say, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. And here's the interpretation. Babylon represented the head of gold. And another kingdom that was like silver was going to arise. It would be inferior to Babylon. That was the Medes and Persians. Then a third kingdom was to arise, again inferior to the other kingdoms, a kingdom of brass. And then a fourth kingdom would arise, a kingdom of iron and then in verse 41, if you look at it very carefully, and it says, And whereas thou sawest the feet and the toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron, for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with clay. Verse 42, And as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. Now this kingdom will eventually be divided into ten parts. I believe there'll be a reviving of the old Roman Empire, partly strong, partly divided. And in the days of these kings, verses 44 and 45, isn't that what the Bible says? And in the days of these kings, that's the ten toes, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. See, notice tonight that the stone is separate. The stone doesn't belong to the image. It's not connected to the image. The stone doesn't belong or, or is represented by the company of earthly monarchs. It's different from the sinful kings of the earth. This stone represents the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is God's kingdom, a kingdom of grace now, a kingdom of glory to come. This stone represents Jesus Christ. And in verse 45 we read, For as much as thou sawest that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, 
that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king which shall come to pass hereafter, and the dream is certain, and the interpretation thereof sure. You see, there's a prediction here of a fifth kingdom, four kingdoms of men that will rule over the world. And then a fifth kingdom's to come. The fifth kingdom is of God. It's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's going to supersede all others. And it's going to rule over all others. Think with me also, not only of the subject of the key to biblical prophecy, but think of the scope of the key to biblical prophecy. Nebuchadnezzar's dream was about what? The latter days. The things that shall come to pass hereafter. God was revealing to the king Nebuchadnezzar things to come. Remember, he represented that head of gold. Remember the Medes and Persians, the Grecian, the Roman Empire. And then we've got the establishment and the emergence of a fifth kingdom. And of course, that fifth kingdom represents the personal visible return of Jesus Christ to the earth. So the prophecy begins with Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, and ends with the return of Jesus Christ, the stone cut out with hands, the stone that smashes the image on its feet, at its toes, and, and, and that kingdom becomes a great mountain and fills the whole earth. So the prophecy begins with Nebuchadnezzar and ends with the return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. Turn over there to the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 21, we read the words in verse 24, Luke 21, verse 44, a very important scripture. It says, and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now the times of the Gentiles is a very long period. And I believe the times of the Gentiles began with Nebuchadnezzar. And it ends with the personal, visible, glorious return of Jesus Christ in power and glory. What does it mean, the times of the Gentiles? Simply this, that the Gentile empires are the most prominent in the face of the earth. They're the ones to the fore up until the personal visible return of Christ. Nebuchadnezzar represents the held of gold and it, prophecy stretches right up to the second coming. And if you understand this key, that's the key to all that is happening in the earth. It covers this whole period. Four very important world empires, four in biblical numerics is the number of completion. Nebuchadnezzar representing Babylon, the Medes and Persians inferior to them, the Grecians inferior to them again, the Romans inferior to them. Why no mention of others? Why is the Bible silent, for example, in the British Empire? Well, you see, it has to do with the unfolding of God's plan and purpose. This is all we need to know. This is all that God has disclosed. And I'm convinced, of course, that the Roman Empire has not yet reached its final form. Think of these legs that have feet of iron, ten toes, partly iron, partly clay. Daniel 2, verse 42 See, that's not yet taken place. I believe there'll be a revival of the old Roman Empire. I can see the European Union um, developing and morphing into a reviving of the old Roman Empire. 
of, of course, I know that there's more than 10 in the EU at the moment. I know that there's more planning to come in to the European Union. It's true that I can count. That's not a problem. But you know what? God's in control. God's in charge. And when you study prophecy, uh, and when you think even of um, wrestling with understanding, you may not see it. You have difficulty reading it. But this is where faith comes in. You have to say in your heart, I believe what God says in his word. And you also need patience because God is at work. And God is a prophetic clock. And God is working to a master plan. Remember, a thousand years in his sight is as one day. And we need to wait in the Lord. And these ten toes may not necessarily represent ten individual nations. There could be ten nations in a loose federation. That, that uh, could be ten rulers. It could be divided into ten provinces. And um, uh, reputed um, scholar in biblical prophecy, B.W. Newton, expects the whole of the EU to be divided up into ten areas. Bring about the revival of the old Roman Empire. You think of Britannia. It didn't include Northern Ireland. It didn't include Scotland but it did include Glasgow and Edinburgh. So if you could divide a line between Glasgow and Edinburgh and take in the north of England, the south of England and the south of Scotland, that could be one of the provinces and a ruler could be over that. See, here's the scope. Think with me in closing of the significance of the key to biblical prophecy. You're familiar, of course, that the Bible is written in two languages, Hebrew and Greek. But did you know that part of the Old Testament was written in a third language? It was written in Aramaic. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Then speak the Chaldeans to the king in Syriac, O king, live forever. Tell thy servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Did you know that Daniel chapter 2, verse 4, Right through to the end of Daniel chapter 7, almost half the book, almost six chapters out of the 12 was all written, not in Hebrew, but written in Aramaic. The book was actually written in two languages. So why did Daniel write it in two languages, Hebrew and Aramaic? Well, here's the answer. Aramaic was the language of the day. Ezra did the same thing. So did Jeremiah. And Aramaic was the language that was widely known in the um, Babylonian, Medes and Persians, Greek world at that time. No accident, no design. God had a purpose. He was addressing not only the nation of Israel, but he was addressing the, the Gentile empire. There's no excuse for an individual to say that he didn't know. There's no excuse for an individual to say, but I didn't understand, I couldn't read God's word. That individual, of course, could recognize and revere as he understood God's word, having read it, that God is a king. And God is going to establish Christ's kingdom on this earth. And God is going to give to him the throne of his father David. And he will be the rightful governor and the rightful successor to David. Luke chapter 1 verses 31 and 33 teaches that. And that God in sovereign power and glory is saying that this kingdom of Christ has no end. Christ is a king now. He's ushered in the kingdom of grace. He's bringing in the kingdom of glory. And he's going to do it 
visibly in a powerful way in the days of these kings, in the days of these ten rulers, in the days of the reviving of the old Roman Empire. So he's doing it now because the kingdom is already here, the kingdom has come, but he's going to do it in a fuller way in the fullness of time. I wonder tonight if you ever bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ is a king and a king now. And Jesus Christ is a kingdom. And he's coming to this earth to set up his kingdom. And and he's going to do it in the days of these kings. The days that that there's ten rulers ruling over the the ten provinces of the old Roman Empire. Will you not bow the knee to Jesus Christ now? Will you not go to Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I've got a soul. Lord, I need to be saved. Lord, I'm asking you to save me. Is it not written? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I appeal to you tonight, because you can be without excuse. The Hebrews were without excuse. The Gentiles were without excuse in Daniel's day, because he wrote it in two languages. So there was plain, so people could see, because people could understand. People could apply their hearts to know knowledge and to know wisdom. And I say to you tonight, Here indeed is the key to understanding biblical prophecy. Oh, that we could grasp the significance of the book. See the scope. Understand the subject. And discover the source as the God of heaven reveals himself to you. May the Lord take these thoughts and bless them to your heart this evening.